0: Hi everyone, welcome to Emerging Markets Today. My name is Ana Paula Picasso. This is gonna be a wrap up of 2022. In this first part, I brought you two clips of two very interesting episodes about innovation in emerging markets. So for the second part, I talked to Max Covellier He's the Head of Mobile for Development at GSMA and co-founder of Africa The Big Deal, a newsletter that I follow which brings insights about Africa. We decided to look at innovation beyond the big headlines. We talk about some startups that are solving real-life problems And then you'll get the big headlines like fintech companies do. The first one was Twiga Foods in Kenya. They are simplifying the chain, the supply chain between fresh food producers through a B2B e-commerce platform. And in the first part, I talked to Alex Lazaro. He's the author of the book, How to Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs From Delhi to Detroit, are rewriting the rules of Silicon Valley. We talked about why emerging markets took over Silicon Valley in tech innovation. And don't forget to check out emergingmarkets.today. And you can see all the articles there and the full episodes. And that's it, guys. Here's the first part with Alex Lazaro. I'm here with Alex Lazaro. He's a global venture capitalist, partner, Akatape Innovation, and also author of How to Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit Are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. But we just dive in into emerging markets, into innovation. This episode will be centered around innovation. So what's been happening in emerging markets?
1: You asked me a broad question, I'll give you a a broad answer, but I'll tell you why I'm excited about the state of innovation um, outside Silicon Valley in emerging markets. Um, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have been wrong to say all the action was in Silicon Valley. Um, In the early 2000s, less than four ecosystems ever created a billion dollar business. In 2021, 91 startup ecosystems have created a billion dollar business. Innovation has globalized, but these aren't just big businesses. These are the biggest businesses. The biggest neobank in the world is from Brazil. The biggest robotic process automation company is from Romania. Um, The biggest EdTech in the world is from India. Um, The biggest social network and ride sharing company and et cetera, et cetera, is from China. And so it isn't just that innovation is globalized, but actually the biggest companies and more and more some of the biggest inspirations and new models are coming from anywhere and scaling everywhere. And so that's one, the background of why I think it's terrifically exciting. And two, um, I, I invest in, in technology companies by day. I write about them. Um, I teach about it uh, outside of work. And I, I think it's one, it's this incredible driver of digital transformation, but it's also an incredible driver of impact. A lot of these businesses, are touching the mass market are creating new products new services new industries for their ecosystems and so one of the things that i think is terrifically exciting is that we're seeing more and more innovation in some really critical sectors of financial services and um, education and healthcare and others we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of this uh, i'm sure later but but i think that's that's what's exciting is that we're seeing record numbers of capital enter emerging markets at this exact moment and we're seeing some really, really exciting proof points and exits uh, that are coming out, uh, coming out very recently. And at the date of this recording, right, NewBank's IPO um, was very recently and it's the biggest fintech exit in my time and the biggest neobank in the world. And, and, and so I think we're at this really unique moment uh, that, that, that I think we're seeing the momentum in the right side.
0: So you mentioned about fintech, about ride sharing, but I want to dig deeper what innovation really means, what does it mean to be a disruptor or a creator in emerging merchant markets?
1: Um, so I, I would say in in, 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 in in my book, I use this framing of, of creators versus disruptors. Um, in Silicon Valley, I think the notion is you're either disrupting or you are being disrupted. Uh, and that guides the problems that people solve and, 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 and trying to make efficient processes, more efficient with software or what have you. In many emerging markets, what I've observed is the biggest and best businesses are taking a lens of being a creator, they're creating industries. Um, if you look at the big business, I, I did a survey, for instance, of, uh, um, of of some of the biggest businesses in emerging markets and, and, and in Silicon Valley, in Silicon Valley, less than uh, 20% of businesses were in these kind of critical industries like fintech, healthcare, etc targeted the mass market. This was a mass market approach in emerging markets. Those numbers are flipped in sub-Saharan Africa it was over 70% in this kind of mass market targeted critical industry businesses. And that's also where we're seeing the outcomes. So I, if you ask me where the hotspots are, I think is where entrepreneurs are creating industries and specifically one of the ones and the big story for 2021 was FinTech. In my opinion, um, what we saw was one one hundred percent, right? Like a massive increase in the amount of funding. Um, I I just wrote a a blog about it, um, about top twenty, top ten predictions for 2022, and and funding for fintech has skyrocketed, exits for fintech have skyrocketed, Um, but I think one of the things that's underappreciated about the story of fintech is that it's actually become the unicorn, the unicorn story in emerging, the unicorn story in many emerging markets is synonymous to the fintech story. Let me give you one example, which is uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. In Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, two years ago, there had been exactly one unicorn, um, and uh, and that company went public. Jumia. Depending how you count, maybe 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 you could add a, a, a second company to that list. Um, uh, Jumia, a big e-commerce company, and, and it went public um, last year. Uh, six new unicorns were minted in Sub-Saharan Africa, and and all driven by fintech, right? So fintech was the unicorn story. In many emerging markets, in Latin, uh, an area I'm spending a lot of time, and also a really big driver of uh, the biggest companies and the fastest scaling. And the reason is, by the way, just coming back to this creator creator point, is um, there's about 1.5 billion people globally, many of whom in emerging markets that have no access to financial products or services. And add another 1.5 to 2 billion, depending how you count, of uh, people that are underserved. It's a it's a prop. Um, um, a, a, uh, customer segment that is has been historically massively underserved, um, spending way too much on cost of credit, uh, insufficient options, etc. And all of a sudden, a technology can really decrease the cost of serve and really, really target customers in unique ways. And, and and what we're seeing is some really exciting pickup and resonance around that idea.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I want to know a little bit more about FinTech, but on the innovation side, I just had someone in the previous episode talking about funding for fintech companies but I want to dig deeper into the innovation side and so what are these companies these fintech companies doing differently in Latin America how are they reaching their
1: customers
0: do they have new ways to reach the customers what's been happening there
1: yeah, well, maybe I'll, I'll just give you three examples of areas that I'm spending a lot of time in that I think are really interesting. Um, one is new ways to reach customers. I believe that for fintechs to work, you need one of the three, I'll call it the three Ds, but distribution, um, data advantage, or a delight advantage. You need to be able to want one of the three things really well, and hopefully two, and a gold star if you get all three. Um, and uh, one of the things I think is really interesting is we're seeing Uh, Startups come with really unique distribution advantages to reach folks. And um, I've written a bunch, for instance, around embedded financial services, where instead of going to the bank for your financial product, you might go to a brand or a place you trust. And that would be where you'd access products or services. Um, We're investors in a company, for instance, in, uh, in LATAM called Zeppelin, and they've created a workflow tool for customers to visualize where all their invoices are going. Um, to, to work with the government, the government API system uh, that 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 looks at that, and then from there you can actually get financing. So it's actually um, it's not purely embedded uh, in, in the traditional way, but it's actually at the point at which you need it, and and that's really powerful. Um, so I think we're going to see more in kind of these new distribution plays, uh, and 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 in Zeppelin's case also a data advantage as well. So I think that's I think that's powerful. I think the second thing that I'm really interested in is um, new product categories, new ways of thinking of making products that scale down market or become more bite-sized. And by the way, that 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 also ties to the embedded question. So for instance, parametric insurance, um, and particularly a parametric with weather and things like that, where it could be a very simple on-off, either the event happens or the event didn't happen.
0: And the deals database, hi, Max. Hi, how are you? Good. Welcome to Emerging Markets today. And yeah, the reason I invite you to the podcast, I follow your newsletter, Africa, the big deal. I find it very informative. You guys really provide data, but not just data analysis about things that are happening in Africa. So we decided to talk about some companies that are probably not, don't make so much headlines because when you think about the emerging markets when you think about Africa usually we think about fintech
2: that's that's what's getting most of the headlines yeah usually which which actually which actually makes sense because um there's a reason why there's so much activity in fintech it's because it's it's like one of the major if not the major building block of any digital economy like you can't do anything if you don't have a good payment credit like system so it does make sense that they're attracting so much money as well yeah
0: and there's the one that brings in the big funding rounds and the big it's a big box as they say yep. <laughs> <laughs> but today i want to i want to focus in startups in tech companies as well but knowing the fintech sector we picked out three examples so the first example do you want to introduce them
2: absolutely i'll uh, maybe i'll start with twigger food i'll try i'll try and uh, and do a good job at explaining what they do obviously they would be doing it uh, much better than uh, uh than me but we've been uh following them and working with them for 6 or 7 years now so I've got a Decent understanding of at least their initial business model because we can come to that, but they've they've changed a little bit. And Twiga Foods, they are from which country? From Kenya. Their operations are mostly based in Nairobi, uh, so the capital, and outside of Nairobi. And so, what what do they do? Um, I like I like always to start with the problem. So basically, what they realized is that there were um, massive inefficiencies in terms of the flows and deliveries of fresh foods and vegetable to Nairobi, the capital. Um, I, think, I think there are about 100,000 little food stall owners in, uh, in Nairobi for which most of the population gets access to buys their fruit and their vegetables, like mangoes, bananas, but also onions, tomatoes, and so on. And basically how it works is that those stall owners, they have to go in the morning to one of the main markets in Nairobi. There are, I think, about 15 or 16 of them. And when they go there, they buy the fruit and vegetable they think they will be able to sell for the day. Um, they have no bargaining power, as you can imagine, because they're really small. They have no control over the quality either. They just buy at the price that they're given them. And I'm guessing everything happens with cash. Um, yes, I mean, yes and no. I mean, a, a lot of the payments, I would say, probably happened already with mobile money, with M-Pesa in particular, because of the prevalence of mobile money. In uh, in uh, in Kenya in, in particular, which is one of the strongholds of mobile money. But we'll come back to this point because it's actually quite interesting what you get by uh, by adding in digital payments.
0: Yeah, I remember Mpesa. Uh, so I think what, what the case with Kenya is slightly different in a way um,
2: because they started how long ago with Mpesa, like ten years, fifteen or? years ago. So so that's what's happening in Nairobi. But the reality is most of the fruit and vegetable come from Kenya from not so far from Nairobi to 300 kilometers, for instance. And so on the other hand, you've got the farmers who have obviously no direct access to the market in Nairobi and usually sell to intermediaries who then sell to other intermediaries and so on until um, the food, the the, the produce reaches those main markets in Nairobi. The inefficiencies and uh, kind of the the little cuts that everybody takes along the way translates into basically the farmers getting um, very low prices for their produce on on that end, and on the other end, the like consumers, the, uh, the the inhabitants of Nairobi, end up paying, for instance, for their bananas almost as much as someone would pay if they buy their bananas in Tesco in London, wow. even though that banana in Tesco has flown usually thousands or, or taking a boat for thousands of miles. Those bananas are produced in Nairobi, outside of Nairobi, but. With all the inefficiencies in the chain basically end up costing as much as a banana that's fl- that flies around the world. So they, what they what they did is they rebuilt the whole chain by working directly with the farmers on one side and directly with the stall owners on the other side. So they removed all the intermediaries in the middle. What it means is obviously a very strong management of the supply chain between the two. So you're able to identify what the needs are in the uh, in Nairobi and uh, and where the offer is outside of Nairobi in the rural areas, but i have done that very uh, very efficiently. They started with a a couple a couple crops and then they grew to more. Now they're also uh, building an offering around more um, FMCGs. Um, but really, everything they're always doing is to try and make sure that by removing inefficiencies, you get better price for the producer and better price for the consumer. At the same time, you also manage the quality better uh, because you have a view across the, the, whole, the whole line. And on top of that, if you digitize payments across the value chain, you build something that's extremely fluid and, um, and efficient for all the different players.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then we come, yeah, that brings me to my next question. So you mentioned about payments. How does the payment part work
2: in this case? Um, it's all done seamlessly using uh, digital payments. I think I haven't I haven't looked at the number recently, but a couple of years ago, I think they were doing 95 or 98% of their payment uh through uh mobile money, which means you don't have to handle cash. Once you've like received the goods, they can be paid directly. It's it's so much more efficient.
0: You know, it brings to what we said in the beginning. If a country has um is already on. The digital payments landscape like Kenya is with MPESA, it makes things much easier. I think it already had the, op- the door was already open in that sense.
2: And at the time we were, we we started working with them, I think it was back in 2015, 2016. they were actually a very uh, a very good case for Safaricom, who was at the time opening the API for mobile payments for like businesses. Um, and there was a lot of work to just see how you how, as a mobile money provider, a Safaricom provider of M-Pesa, you make it um, as efficient as possible for a business that relies on a lot of volume and transaction to integrate with M-Pesa. How does the future looks like for them? Well, I hope they keep. I hope they keep growing. But it's, what I really like about the the their stories is it's also about managed growth, because um, they were they were. Quite successful in Nairobi quite quickly. They managed to raise a um, significant amount of money. I think you were mentioning not all of them are in TechCrunch. I think there, there must have been at least an article about them in TechCrunch because they raised like um, eight digit rounds in terms of, uh, of funding. If you add them all up, you're uh, close to, if not over $100 million. Um, but so, and I, and I think from, from what I'm seeing is that their growth is well managed and it, in two ways i think they're having built the initial offering that they've built they're looking now at the additional um additional offers and services that they can provide to all the small uh, stall owners or shop owners small shop shop owners in uh, in in kenya by offering new types of offering uh maybe like processed goods a little bit like um um Wheat flour, for instance, I think is one of them. So that's one thing. It's just diversifying their offer, but always like focusing on what they do best, which is recreating and strengthening value chain in terms of procurement of, of basic uh, basic food items in particular. And the other thing is obviously you want them to grow, right? When you see that they do so well in Nairobi. So they're growing in Kenya. Um, and they have plans they have talked about the, their plans to grow to other uh, other markets um obviously it hasn't been easy for a lot of companies to grow in the context of the pandemic but in their case in particular what i particularly what i specifically appreciate is that they have been kind of pushed very early on to replicate their model to other uh, uh, other cities and other countries but they always push back saying that they needed to perfect their model have a system that really works and have like the tech behind it and so on before they take it to another market. And I really, I really respect that when you have a, a an organization that's so dedicated to solving a problem that they want to build the best solution before taking it to a market, rather than sometimes like accepting money that's knocking on their door to launch in two or three more markets, but maybe spread their thumbs too thin and not being able to invest so much in uh, uh, perfecting the uh, the the product the offering and the tech